Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Unfollowing Mum. Today, I have a guest with me who I am super excited to chat to. I've been reading her book recently, which is called Parenting for Humans. And if you are a parent yourself and you have not had the best experience in your own childhood or you're perhaps looking back at your own childhood and you're thinking okay yeah that mm, sort of worked but how can I parent differently how can I look at that blueprint that I have or that I completely lack and go I want to do things differently and break that cycle then Emma is for you so I am speaking today to Dr Emma Spanberg hi hi thank you for having me Harriet Thank you for agreeing to come on. I really, I, I, know, I know I've known you across Instagram for a while and I've loved the the way that you have written this book and the way that you have spoken to the, the cycle breaker in me, if you like, as a parent. So mm. can you tell us a bit about what you do? I know you are a clinical psychologist. Can you let us know sort of what you what you do? So I specialise in perinatal work. So I work across pregnancy, birth and the early years of parenthood. But in doing that, I have always had a special interest in attachment, attachment relationships and trauma. And I think the more that I've done this job, the more that I have looked into generational patterns of trauma, you know, what kind of what we bring to our parenting journey, because often it is in that perinatal experience, particularly when we're new parents, that we very suddenly get hit by all of the things that happened to us when we were children that we haven't resolved and didn't even necessarily know were problematic for us. I know you've spoken about that before on the podcast, that sort of realisation all of a sudden of, oh, hang on, this thing that happened to me, actually, maybe that wasn't okay, because I really don't want to do that to my own children. So through that, you know, that's what really where the book has come from, is the conversations that I've had with people across you know, 20 years, nearly, of working with different parents in different, various different guises, around understanding what we bring to our parenting journey. And then once we understand that, and are able to resolve it and let go of some of those things and make decisions that feel more conscious, that more conscious choices about our parenting, I feel like it's only then that we can really understand our children. Yeah, and I feel like that's very much reflected in how I am as a parent. I've said it so many times, not just on the podcast, but basically to anybody who'll listen, that I am very much a different parent to the parent that my eldest Reuben had, that I am now, and I have been with each of them. And I think that's just, that's part of life. That's normal because we're all growing and changing. But in the way that I I feel like the more I have worked on myself, the more I have healed my trauma, the more I've even addressed it, because for a long time, I just completely suppressed it, pretended it hadn't happened. I would never Mm. have looked at it as an abusive childhood. I would never have looked at it as a toxic childhood. If you'd have asked me when I was pregnant with my eldest, I would have said my mum was my best friend and Mm. she was heavily involved in a lot of the pregnancy. She was there at the birth. And I look back and I think, gosh, so many of those things, especially when I was in those circumstances, were starting to make me feel uncomfortable and I couldn't Mm. understand why. And Mm. then as time progressed, when I was pregnant with my second child, it was more like, I'm not happy with this. And then by the third Mm. child, you're not going to be at the birth. This is going to be different. And it all came really from when I started to have my own children and started to look Mm. back. But I feel like I haven't been able to meet my kids from that adult 
level Mm -hmm. meet my kids from that parent that I want to be until I've really started to work on myself yeah and that's so hard and there's so much in what you say because we only really start that journey when we become parents or caregivers you know not necessarily our own biological children but as we start to care for another small human being what that raises for us is everything that comes up from and it's often so unconscious you know stuff that we just carry into our adulthood and just like you say you don't realize that you're pushing it away but because it's not raw because it's not something that you're facing day to day we are able to kind of compartmentalize it put it in a cupboard not look at it again it might come up with us in other relationships like in romantic relationships in friendships in work relationships but when we have a child and we can feel like so much is at stake when we have that child and often when we've had a difficult experience we really have very high expectations of ourselves as parents we want to provide them this kind of ideal perfect childhood that we and again kind of very unconsciously maybe we realize that we didn't have ourselves but it's in doing that it's in having that relationship and meeting that new human being who you feel you know that there is so much at stake that you're so responsible for that all of a sudden all of these unconscious feelings and beliefs and ideas come up and just like you say it can often come in this very unprocessed because often they're pre-verbal as well so it can feel like it comes up in these feelings in our body or these feelings of discomfort or just that sense of like something's just not quite right here but I don't quite know why and then once you look into that then we can start to explore well what is it that is coming up for me in this parenting journey in this relationship with this little person what are the things that are really kind of starting to feel more raw that I then maybe need to explore away from that relationship, you know, in a different kind of safe place. We also go through a tremendous identity transformation when we become parents for the first time. So we're getting to know, first of all, kind of being met with or meeting again, these kind of little kid parts of us that suddenly come up for us. Then actually going through this process like adolescence all over again, discovering who we are, what is our identity now that we are parents, how do we feel? What's our social life like? What does our day look like? What does our work look like? So all of that has shifted too. And in that transformation, often there are difficult feelings that come up aside from the relationship with the child. And then we have our relationship with our parents and caregivers, which can change really rapidly when we have children for the first time. Or it can be like you described this sort of trickle, like, oh, you know, I'm not quite sure that this is the relationship that fits for me now that I am a parent myself. And even in healthy relationships where there are, you know, lots of space and, um, you know, parents are accepting and um, held themselves accountable perhaps for mistakes that they've made in the past. Even in those healthiest of relationships, we still need to go through a transformation of being a child in that relationship to being a fellow adult. And that in itself is a really difficult process to go through. You know, how do I, in feeling that I need to be parented more myself now that I am a parent myself, so really having those longing, longing for kind of being loved and cared for at the same time as having to step into our parent identity and be able to say to our parents, actually, now I am relating to you as a fellow parent. I'm not just your child anymore so three massive themes there that come up so much in the work that I do and even in kind of the healthiest of relationships they are things that will affect people at different times I think that's so interesting that you say that that need to be parented it's almost like for me it's been almost like reparenting myself mm-hmm. in you know there wasn't somebody there for me to step to and say okay I need some advice or Not so much that I need some advice here, because I think my mum would have given me advice, but it would have been advice that I wouldn't have been able to trust. Mm. And it's it's stepping away and saying, okay, I I didn't like that from my childhood. And that's not, that's actually left me with quite a few wounds. How, how do you navigate that without them pushing that onto your children? Because I'm also conscious as well with my children of not completely taking the blueprint and flipping it. So I do totally the opposite because in a way, if I'm doing totally the opposite, I'm almost doing the wrong thing as well. It's kind of finding that middle ground and taking the things that I know were healthy, that I know can be productive as a parent and I know do work for me and navigating my own path I guess yes I think that there 
is a step that I'm, I'm aware that you've probably been through yourself in that, which is that you have to grieve first. Mm. You know, you can't really get to that point where you can look objectively at what you're trying to do in your parenting relationship without going through a process of grieving for what you didn't have and what you still don't have in the here and now. And I think that that's where those, you know, you talked about reparenting, that's where those really kind of little girl or little boy feelings can come up for us. If we don't explore them, think about what that child needed at the time and what that child almost still needs to hear now, then they do pop out in our parenting, you know, either as a direct repetition of what we experienced. And that can be so hard when you're trying your utmost to not replicate what you experienced. Because actually the pressure that we can put on ourselves to do something different causes such stress that actually that automatic stress response that then comes out actually in many ways makes it more likely that we're going to repeat a pattern that we are trying to let go of or we kind of go completely the other way and there is you know there is research that shows that kind of in terms of insecure attachment styles we do have a tendency to almost pendulum swing to the other so if we had yeah, it makes kind sense, of it? or anxious mm-hmm. attachment we're more likely to go towards a more kind of avoidant slightly distant attachment because we don't want to be intrusive because we know what that felt like I think that what you're, I mean, there's two things in what you're saying. There's the first aspect of how do I look after that little kid that I am still carrying around with me so that I can really listen to them and make sure that they have their needs met now, almost in the here and now, so that I can then look after these actual little kids in front of me. But then there's also something about kind of understanding that it's it's all an experiment, like we're not going to get it right, especially when we're trying to forge our own pathway. There will be a process of, of making multiple mistakes. I mean, there are always going to be, a, there's always going to be a process of making multiple mistakes, but being okay with that and knowing that actually this is a lifelong relationship and maybe this is something that I'm trying, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't fit for me in my family or in my relationship with my children and not berating yourself about that, you know, knowing that actually these things can ebb and flow. We can try different ways of, of showing up in our relationships we can read our own emotions and know actually this feels like for whatever reason this is not working for me I'm not going to be able to maintain this that's a really important one too so that it's sustainable for you and your children but that is going to take a long time and like you say you might have different children there might be different experiences your relationship with your partner if you have one is also going to be changing in that time your relationships outside of your family are going to be changing in that time so knowing that there is this is a process of experimentation it's not something that you get right and you decide and you just do it that one time and then that's how you keep going forevermore. That's so interesting because I talk a lot about the fact that there's a misconception sometimes when we look back at the way that we were raised and we say that was actually completely inappropriate you know that left me with this or I need to perhaps speak to my parent and say mum that that was parentification, the way you treated me, the way you spoke to me, that that wasn't okay. That really hurt me. And it's then up to that parent to come back and make that repair because it's not about saying you're never going to make mistakes and you're the perfect parent. And I get quite a lot, especially when I talk online about challenging the way that my parents would have responded to me. I get a lot of, oh, so I guess you're perfect then. Or I get, wait until you have kids and you'll find out. And the response to it is always, but I'm not saying that I'm looking for perfection. I'm not saying that you need to be perfect or that I need to be perfect or that I'm not going to make those mistakes because I am, because we all are. But especially when you've had that toxic upbringing, it's really difficult not to almost over hold yourself accountable for it. Does that make sense? Almost kind of sit in that space where you're panicking about it. Yes, absolutely. Because you know the impact. Mm. You know the impact. You felt the impact for yourself. So you're desperate for your children to not feel the way that you felt. And then we put so much pressure on ourselves, right, to get it absolutely right at every stage and hold ourselves accountable. But what we can often then do is over apologize. And I think that there's something about, you know, what you've spoken about a lot is is accountability, right? A parent, a, a parent with an adult child being able to hold themselves accountable and say, I'm sorry that that had that impact on you. And, you know, what can we do to repair now in the here and now? 
when we're so invested in being able to do that for our own children because that's what we really need for ourselves actually we can also place a little bit of responsibility on them to make us feel okay about the parenting that we are doing so we're saying to them you know we're repeating a pattern in a different way potentially you know we're kind of saying to them please can you tell me that I'm doing a good job yeah. I'm really sorry I need you to like me I need you to tell me that this is okay that you're not going to feel angry with me that I haven't broken you and then our child becomes quite invested or can become quite invested in making sure and often this is happening very unconsciously but in making sure that we feel like we're a good parent I think that when we can own our mistakes fully and not just hold ourselves accountable but see mistakes as a really essential part of our relationship with our children then we let go of the idea that we need to kind of make amends and it becomes much more about how do we just reconnect I'm a flawed person you're a flawed person I made a bit of a mistake at this point what do you need for us to be able to fix that and move on together rather than oh my goodness, I've broken you, our relationship is completely shattered and now I need to work my utmost to rebuild something. That because our child is having a different experience to us, they don't really need that. They're like, you know, why is mum or dad giving themselves such a hard time? Yeah. Like, I'm fine. So, you know, being able, and again, I think that is the process of exploring your own experience because when we're looking at that, for example, that mistake or that disconnect that we happened to happen with our child, we're looking at that through the lens of our own experience we can project into our child you are feeling shattered in the way that I did when I was little actually because we will have worked so hard to give our child something different often they're just wondering what the problem is you know why are you so upset <laughs> about this let's move on and we can often see that you know I think in in parents where you know the parent is so invested in being able to offer their child something that they didn't receive that child can actually sometimes be pretty stoic and quite robust because they've had so much poured into them in their early years you know that it can and like you said at the beginning it can create a different problem where when, once that when that child is ready to separate and quite happy to then go off into the world on their own that can leave us as a parent kind of going okay well what's my role here because I've been so invested in you know giving this child something and now they need some they need to be apart from me they need to be separate from me so what do I now do as part of my identity, as part of my role, where they need me much less than they did before? Does that make sense? It does make sense, yeah. It's all very complicated, isn't it? And yet it at is, the same time, it not. It's all, like uh, you say, it's a long, lifelong life process that lasts for the entirety of your relationship, where there are going to be ebbs and flows, there are going to be mistakes made, and then some repairing in the relationship. And it's about meeting each other with communication. But how do you how do you do that when you've got a when you've got a toddler who's flinging yeah. themselves around and is triggering the hell out of you because you know yeah. how your parent would have reacted? Yeah. And I did something about this the other day on TikTok where I'd done a, it was just a little video and it went viral because it had such a huge response from people. It was just a little video where Ruben had turned to me and I was getting really heated with him during maths. And I'd said to him, I was getting really agitated. And I remember my mum getting really agitated with me. And that in itself, I find very triggering when I'm showing up in a way that I remember my mum showing up. Um, Even though I consciously know that that's quite normal to do those things um I still find it like and I'd said to I I can't remember what I'd said to him but he just put his pen down and said to me I can see you getting really frustrated with me but that's not helping and it's upsetting me can we just Mm -hmm. stop for a minute and in a way that was great and I was really proud of him for being able to communicate how he was feeling and to set a boundary and say this is you're overdoing it now mum like you're mm-hmm. getting agitated off, yeah he wasn't expected to be responsible for to, to regulate my emotions but he was just setting a boundary saying you're not going to talk to me like that and I felt really proud of him but at the same time there was a part of me that felt triggered by it because I was thinking god if I'd have done that I would have probably got a slap across the face mm. and it's stepping out of that and saying okay how, how do you address it all how do we do it so much it's so much it is so much and you know I will say that in my therapeutic experience when you've had complex relationships with your parents 
it takes years to unpick this you know this is not something that we're going to solve in a single podcast episode but <laughs> you know and I think in some ways it shows doesn't it how much people just want to have a, an anchor and you just want to have something to hold on to because it can feel so complex and so messy and you feel like you've untangled one aspect of it like maybe you've untangled reparenting but then what do I do about feeling triggered in the moment and then what do I do about whether my child is holding any responsibility for my feelings and it can be really overwhelming so again I think it's really important to say this stuff really takes time and at different ages and stages of your children's lives different things will be triggered for you about how you were and how you were treated at those ages and stages yourself so this is not only do you have a lifelong relationship it is a lifelong process and it is not one that you ever get to a point of feeling like I'm done there are always going to be different things that show up in thinking about your own parenting experiences your own childhood experiences how that then impacts on you as a parent I think this is something so I'm sort of slightly going off, off on a tangent but when we talk about cycle breaking one of the things that I find can actually add a lot of pressure to parents is the idea that we're going to break a cycle in one generation there is this feeling like I had this experience I am going to work my utmost to give my children a different and not only different but positive healthy secure experience and then they're going to have really lovely happy healthy relationships they're not going to have any of this trouble when they have their own children like we're done right it stops with me mm. actually that is just impossible to put it very simply it's impossible we are processing all the time our children are different people to us they are going to trigger us in different ways they're going to need different things from us we also live in a completely different world to the world that we were raised in we can start that process of breaking cycles and our parents will have broken their own cycles it's something that lots of parents that I work with are doing very consciously they're thinking very hard about they're talking about it with their children you know, that is giving our children such huge tools to be able to not replicate those kind of experiences that maybe they felt were unhealthy or unhelpful. But we have to give ourselves a break, but we're not going to get it all done in one go. And I think it's it's really important for people to know that and hear that and allow their shoulders to drop and just say, you know what, I'm going to do my best, but I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to get it wrong. There's going to be things that I regret too. But I'm going to do that my way and I'm going to do it consciously and I'm going to do it with, with you know, holding myself accountable, knowing that I am growing forever and ever and ever. There's not going to be a point where I feel like I'm done because it just means that we can lose that sense of urgency. You know, can we can have such a sense of urgency, like I've got to get this right and I've got to do it, I've got to fix it so that my child doesn't feel like I felt. But actually that sense of urgency can create that a, a stressful state in our own system so that actually we're much more likely to replicate something that we don't want to repeat because we we are holding so much, you know, so there is so much at stake for us. So just knowing that, which can, again, that's where grief comes in, knowing that because of our experiences, there are going to be things that we wish didn't happen with our own children. There are going to be feelings that we have that we wish weren't there, but we need to meet that with compassion not berating ourselves for getting it wrong and for not meeting these ideals that we're holding ourselves to because it's in that way that we can actually then not only meet our children with compassion and kindness that we wish that we'd had but we meet ourselves with that compassion and kindness too knowing that this is a lifelong process I love that you've said that because I often do find that oh you've broken the cycle really in itself quite triggering because you sat there yeah. thinking oh okay so I've done it now okay so I must do that every time and it's just physically impossible and it puts so much pressure onto ourselves because as you say you don't want to repeat that cycle but in a way you're always going to be creating your own things that your children yeah, will look back we have to that's part of parenting part of parenting is that our children have to be annoyed with us frustrated with us you know, absolutely hate us at times. <laughs> yes. They yeah. need to be able to hate us. They need to be able to, to to hold that kind of feeling of animosity towards us as part of their developmental process too. You know, that is also something that is an important part of their development. But I think, you know, knowing, you know, that, that kind of idea of it, that being triggering in itself, because 
actually at what point do you stop you know at what point is it just okay to exist and just be the human that you are because there are so many cycles that we might be trying to break from you know what we feed feeding our children to how we put them to bed to how we respond to their emotional outbursts to how we treat them in terms of their schooling what we're modeling in our relationships with their other parent if they're around it it colors all of the aspects of our life there are inevitably going to be times where we do things that we wish that we hadn't done and rather than then go oh my god I've absolutely you know I've repeated that cycle and then we can go down a real shame spiral thinking about the possible impact of that on our child again be able to go well what do I need in that moment in this moment to be able to comfort myself and forgive myself so that then I can carry on meeting them where they are I think the other thing in what you said there Harriet as well around you know the weight that it can then it becomes a burden you know the weight that you can carry with with this you know huge and admirable goal of breaking cycles is that it also does put pressure on our children unconsciously often Mm. but that we have such a need for our children to be okay that of course they will pick up on that because children are little sponges they will read our micro expressions Mm -hmm. and they will know that actually mum at this moment mum needs me to be okay because and you know very unconsciously because she needs to know that she's doing a good job and again that is going to be something that just happens in our relationships with our children because that's part of family life but the more that we can forgive ourselves for those times where we don't do what we wish we, we, we could have done the more that we also release that burden on our children to be the ideal children that we're hoping that they can be or for us to have this ideal family life that we really wish that we'd had yeah it's difficult because I think that the ideal family life that we're sold and that we see in the media and that we see in what is termed as healthy relationships it doesn't really exist because everybody's navigating their own experiences and you touched on two terms there that I really struggle with still and that was self-compassion and Mm self-forgiveness and I I find them so hard and it's something that I go back and forth with my own therapist with and speak to her and say to her you know actually "Mm, I could have done that differently and she's like yes but you were a child and I'll Mm. still sort of say but no I I should have done that differently she'd be like again you were a child and it's that self-forgiveness and I think people who grow up or my experience speaking to people who grow up in those toxic dynamics self-forgiveness and self-compassion seem to be very far out of reach they seem to be really difficult to grasp they are of course they are because you've heard critical voices for your whole life and or or an absence of voices you know if you've been been through any kind of emotional abuse neglect physical abuse you know that kind of the huge range of childhood trauma that we now understand to have an impact on us as we grow up part of that is either hearing a critical voice or your interpretation is that there is criticism in that voice because as children our main goal is to be close to our caregiver we proximity seek that's what attachment is all about it's about seeking safety and we do that by being close if we have a caregiver who is either frightening or frightened themselves or inconsistent then we can go to them and then when we receive a response that feels difficult we then need to move away again or in what can be really really difficult you know what the evidence shows is that one of the most difficult experiences for children is inconsistent parenting so knowing that sometimes you're met with love and care sometimes you're met with anger sometimes you're met with tears or sometimes you're met with blame and shame because you never quite know what you're going to receive so you're always walking on eggshells that's a really difficult state to be in because if you just have a parent who shouts at you or who is abusive towards you physically or emotionally and that is a consistent you know feeling of this parent is not there for me then you can say actually this relationship is one that is too harmful to me it's much easier to walk away from that relationship when you have grown up if you have a relationship where you get some really lovely bits actually that can just keep us coming closer because we're waiting we're longing to get those lovely bits again so we we step in we seek closeness when we get something that doesn't feel okay because we're children we don't then say well you know mum or dad are treating me badly we internalize that we think it must be something to do with me because I need this parent or caregiver to be safe therefore it's my fault 
you know, we talk about children being egocentric. Essentially, what that means is that they hold themselves responsible for things. So if mum or dad feels a bit scary or a bit absent or a bit inconsistent, it has to be my fault because the alternative that they can't look after me is far too terrifying for a child. So that is what we carry right when we grow up, that sense of an internal critical voice that might be messages that you heard or then messages that you interpreted when you were little. And actually that's the bit that can feel really tricky for people because you, as a grown up, you might say, but you know, my mum or dad never said anything really awful to me. So I don't really get where that's come from. That's the interpretation that you make when you're growing up, because as a child, you cannot bear to think that it's because your parent can't care for you in the way that you need to be cared for. It must be my fault. It must be something to do with me. And that's where particularly people who've had that kind of long, long-term childhood trauma can leave, end up with those feelings of just being a bit broken and not quite knowing why. And actually that is that kind of internal interpretation that is a very sensible, adaptive interpretation for a child to make. Because this way, if I'm the broken one, then my parent can still have some resource to look after me. So that keeps me safer than if I was just completely on my own. So of course it's hard to have self-compassion because we will have these very, very noisy voices in our mind telling us all of the mistakes that we're making, all of the things that we're getting wrong, all of the things that we should be doing better if we wanted to be closer to our child or anybody else's relationship can't be their fault, got to be our fault. We're the ones to blame. There is a lot of unpicking to do there to know that it wasn't your fault. It's not your fault now and it never was. And what do I need to hear now in order to be able to meet myself with kindness? And again, part of that process will be anger and will be needing to grieve. We need to be able to feel angry in a way that we couldn't when we were children. Actually, I need to feel possible rage at the, this parent and the way that they treated me when I was younger. And then once I've experienced that rage, once I, once I can really say fully and wholeheartedly, this is something that should not have happened to me, and be able to not necessarily express it to the parent or caregiver, but be able to express it somewhere safe, then you suddenly find, as you've talked about before, Harriet, that you can then start to see some of the parts of your childhood that maybe felt that they were okay. But we need to be able to push away, right, to separate from that, from that actual parent potentially, but certainly from that internalised parent, that internalised critical voice. And once we can separate from them, then we can start to think about the adult that we want to be now. And then we can start to look at that internal critical voice with much more objectivity. And sometimes it can really help to name it, you know, to see it as an actual person, a character. And it might be a parent, but it might be, you know, a kind of almost cartoon character that we hold a caricature of this like really mean, nasty voice, because then it allows us to to just look at it in a bit more externally, a bit more objectivity. And then we can say, well, if I was to meet that person in real life, actually, I know that this is what I would say to them. What can really help when you're in this kind of time of trying to do something different for your own children is thinking about what you would say if that person were talking to your child, because there was no way that you would allow that to happen. So what would you say to that person in order to be able to push them away from you a little bit in order to separate yourself from them a little bit and then talking to yourself as you would to your child if they were being faced with that very critical mean person <laughs> I mean I think we all have an inner critic but I do think there is something to be said for that inner critic when you have had that toxic upbringing because my word my inner critic can be cruel it's as well with you saying about it being a lifelong thing for parenting our children I think it's a lifelong thing challenging that inner critic because oh, I'm yeah. still so much in the face like when you said then it's okay to to know that that wasn't your fault even then all of me could bunch up thinking oh, I hate it yeah, probably was there a little yeah. bit wasn't it it's, we, it's yeah. always there just a little bit and it gets less every time but it's always there and I think there's this misconception that you will get to a point where you are completely healed and yeah. that you mm. will be totally fine and it's just not the reality of it it's no. a continual thing of challenging also, that negative I mean, thought where does that come from right that kind of sense that if we just do the work and it's something that is around about on social media do the work just do the work heal and then what's the 
what's the kind of goal that we're aspiring to, then we'll be recovered, then we'll be healed. But we're not robots, right? And, and our lives are constantly in flux and changing and our relationships are constantly in flux and changing. I feel like this kind of idea that we have, and it is part of being an individualist culture. It's part of being a culture that is very perfectionist, you know, and very aspirational. That is the society and the cultural messages that we live within. As part of that, mental health and well-being can also get tied up in that. Just do these things and then you'll be fine. And that in itself can leave us with a huge sense of failure when we're like, well, I've been going to therapy for years or yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm doing all of my meditation and I'm doing my yoga and my breathing and actually I still feel broken. So that in itself can leave us with additional feelings of shame and failure because we're not really recognising or acknowledging that as human beings, we are in a constant state of growth and development and we should be. You know, if we're not, then we're not changing and we're not, you know, we're not going to develop in a way that we actually need to throughout our lifespan. I think this is one of those things that you kind of, we have this impression that we become adults and then that's it, we're done. But actually our development continues throughout our whole life. Of course it does. How could it not? So as part of that, our healing journey, our recovery journey is also going to change. And at different times we might need and want different things. So maybe at one point we want talking therapy, maybe at a different time we want to go for some trauma-informed yoga, or we want to go for more sort of body-based techniques, or we just want to have lots and lots of friends around us. So we want to make sure that we're protecting ourselves from people who we don't feel have our best interests at heart. We want to surround ourselves with love and care. You know, that we will have different needs at different times. And also our family life is changing all the time as well, right? So it will have different capacities as well. So when you have very little children, it's really hard to do this kind of work because mm-hmm. you just don't have the headspace. It's there, it's raw, it's really unprocessed. But and actually that's why perinatal work is so fascinating because you can you can make huge changes really quickly because it's all just there in front of you. But at the same time, you have such limited time. You're not sleeping. You're probably not feeding yourself very well. It's so really it, unfair that all of this bubbles it's so up. It's so <laughs> like, it all yeah. comes up just at the time when you're like, look, I am too knackered to deal with that right now. Yeah, I can't, exactly. like... I'm, I'm so emotional, but I've got yeah. no time to do anything with it because I've got this baby who needs me 24-7. It's really, it is really unfair. And it is also an incredible time of potential transformation because it is just there I mean what you said before I'm going to answer the question that you asked me a while ago about the stress response when you're feeling triggered in the moment Mm -hmm. because I think that's when that inner critic can really come in very strongly and leave us in a bit of a shame spiral where we maybe respond in a way that we wish we hadn't that feels very automatic and maybe our parents voice comes out of our mouth or we do something that we remember having done to us or like you said which is a beautiful example right actually if somebody was watching that interaction they'd be like right she's cracked it right she's absolutely loads of people said oh my god you've broken the cycle and I was like you didn't see what he said to me after (laughs) also you didn't see my My emotional reaction to that which is like oh hang on a second I don't know how I really feel about this assertive (laughs) child how dare you challenge me but also yay go you (laughs) It's such a myth. I think this is part of parenting, whether or not, you know, we're kind of thinking about breaking cycles and that kind of more high stakes parenting, I suppose, in some ways. Part of parenting that we don't talk about enough is ambivalence. That in all of our aspects of parenting, we are going to hold mixed feelings. And those mixed feelings are not just about, you know, kind of love and frustration but really all or nothing feelings of adoration and pure hatred. You know, there might be times where we absolutely hate our children and we're absolutely furious with them. And that is a part of parenting, particularly mothering, that we really don't talk about very much, the darker side of parenting. But particularly when we have experienced a parent feeling hatred towards us or feeling anger towards us and really showing that, that can be a very very scary emotion to notice in yourself Mm. so we tend to feel it and then we sort of push it away and often what we then do is that we'll kind of overcompensate for it by being very warm and loving like I'm so proud of you for being so Mm. assertive meanwhile that little girl part of you is still feeling quite annoyed and frustrated like how dare he stamping her feet thinking how rude (laughs) how how rude but you didn't 
say it out loud. No. I mean, and it would have been fine if you did. Right, that's also important to say. There are going to be times where we say these things out loud, and then we can still go back to our children and say, "I'm really sorry. My mum's voice just popped out. That is not mm. how I want to speak to you." And you can have that conversation. But I think knowing that you know those things are going to come up in those moments, and that a really essential part of repair for yourself is to then speak to that little girl part of you and be able to say again with compassion I know you would never have been able to get away with that what do you need now to be able to feel acknowledged and heard and understood because we don't like those parts of us we wish that they weren't there so we don't look at them but we need to look at them if they're not going to pop out in other ways which usually would be anger at your partner later right or getting frustrated at the supermarket or you yeah. not want don't want to take it out on your kids but it is going to come out somewhere yeah and it is very automatic right when we have the kind of relentlessness of parenting that we have it is often really full-on a lot of the time we are in a, often in a state of overwhelm particularly at the moment you know we've been through a lot in terms of global pandemic cost mm. of living crisis people are feeling insecure in their living circumstances that is going to raise stress levels in the family home when we are feeling stressed out in those moments it's an automatic stress response that comes out so usually that is fight flight freeze flop or fawn for people when you know because our essentially what happens when we're in that high straight high stress state is that our frontal lobes flip off we kind of lose our executive functioning that's a kind mm. of wise adult part of our brain and our emotion brain comes in, our limbic system comes in. because, And that's that what we're talking about when we're talking about feeling triggered. It's that that kind of capacity for wisdom almost goes and our survival mode kicks in. It is in that survival mode state that we are going to say the things or react in the way that we wish that we weren't, that we didn't have, have within our system. It, and these are really, really automatic responses. I talk about it in the book like a record. Yeah, you know, like we we're playing this dance. We've been in this dance with our own parent uh, or caregiver, and then we've often played that same dance, played that same groove in the record with other relationships that we've had. So that is going to be a groove in the record that is deep, right? Like that needle has been round and round on that record. I mean, I'm old, so this is like <laughs> I'm talking about records. Probably some people are like, "What's this awesome record?" <laughs> but, you know, if you think about that kind of deep groove that would form in a song that you've played over and over and over again. And then when you're trying to do something different with your child, you know, you're essentially trying to move that needle. But in a moment of stress and the record player is knocked, that needle is going to get knocked straight back into that familiar groove. Yeah. It's automatic. There's not much we can do about it. What we can do is just know that it will happen, forgive ourselves when it does happen. And be able to say to ourselves and our children, okay, now we're going to move the needle back into that new song, into that new dance that we're trying to create together. But but to know that that is also going to be part of family life, that that needle is going to get knocked back in. It's a very familiar groove. It's often very deep. It's a dance that you've danced for many years. So, of course, in those automatic moments of stress, we're going to go back into something that is familiar. Because And this is some of the hardest stuff, I think, that we need to come to terms with is that it's easy and automatic because it's familiar and familiar means safe. Mm. Even though we know it's not really safe for us in the here and now and in the longer term, familiarity gives us a feeling of safety. And that's what can feel so tough because, you know, as part of breaking cycles, we also have to recognise our own part in maintaining those cycles. Yeah. And part of the reason that we do that is because it feels really familiar. So when we shout at our child, even though consciously we don't want to do it, there will be a part of us that feels a little bit relieved because we know it. It's familiar. It feels like, okay, this is something that I'm comfortable with. When I've had my own therapy sessions and spoken to my my therapist about that feeling of safeness, almost the feeling of safeness in chaos, a feeling of familiarity in chaos, because that's how so much of my life was lived in that state of chaos, in that state of, of flight or flight or freeze. And for me to have the calm to have a state in my life where I'm coming from an adult perspective, where things are going right, where everything is as I want it to be, where everything is really happy, feels so unfamiliar. 
<laughs> oh yeah because you're like well okay when's it all gonna go wrong? when's it gonna go wrong and I'm always waiting for the next yeah. moment of when's it gonna go wrong when am I going to make the next mistake yes because it's gonna be your fault right of course it was yeah. going back to what we said before right it's just gonna I'm gonna do something to mess this up mm. I mean if you think about it from a nervous system perspective you know when you when you have been brought up to be in that more survival mode, fight or flighty nervous system response. And we don't know that we're there until we're adults, you know, we can kind of look at these things and go, oh yeah, actually I really don't know what it feels like to be relaxed and calm. That in itself is a really hard pill to swallow. I actually, I don't think my body knows what it feels like to be safe. That's a big deal. And I think that even that, you know, knowing that we are then learning we're teaching our bodies we're teaching our nervous systems what does it feel like to be safe and then again that's where the forgiveness and compassion comes in because your body will be going no 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 no, no. there's a threat somewhere this is don't weird relax. don't relax yeah. don't relax <laughs> because the more that you relax the more that your very very sensitive nervous system will go what are you doing there's danger everywhere you know what you're, you're making us really unsafe so there will be a process of discomfort that you have to go through to be able to almost reset your nervous system, reset your body. And that is a very unconscious thing as well, right? It's not something that we think our way out of, it's something that we feel our way out of in order to recognise actually when I, and this is why sort of some traditional relaxation techniques and stuff don't work for people who've had really difficult childhood experiences because it can actually make us feel much more agitated. Yeah, meditation you know, agitates me. Because really you're, you're in your body, right? Mm-hmm. You go into your body, and your body's just going like danger, yeah. danger, 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 danger. Hate don't it. Relax, don't relax. <laughs> but so we can use other grounding techniques, right, to be able to then think about what, how do we return our bodies to a place of safety in a way that works for us? And often they are not the traditional methods that you read about on social media. There are different techniques that can feel very boring, very dull, but let your body know there is no threat, there is no enemy. I am safe in my body. There is no emergency. And often things like mantras can work really well, like just like that, that this, there is no emergency. There is no emergency. I'm safe. Because, and, you know, that kind of holding on to something that we can almost repeat in our minds like an anchor or using our body in a different way, like grounding our feet on the floor and really focusing on that in those triggering moments. So ex- almost using those external anchors to be able to hold on to telling your body, I'm not back there. I'm not, I'm not in that relationship. I'm in this relationship here. I am a grown up and I'm going to respond in the way that I want to respond. Yeah. It's so difficult to respond sometimes from that adult place, as opposed to responding from your inner child, really difficult sometimes. And you have to work really hard on it on both the conscious and a subconscious level I think to be able to say yep I'm responding from this adult place I'm feeling okay and I think for me my eldest in particular reminds me a lot of myself as a child Mm. so yeah (laughs) so that for me can be even more challenging when I look at my relationship with him I can find those old feelings of almost like not resentment towards myself as a child but almost just an unfamiliarity towards myself Mm. as a child a lack of understanding and it's it's really difficult to know how to navigate that and to parent him sometimes as Harriet now when I recognize Mm. a lot of Harriet then in him how do you navigate that well I think that once you understand what is yours you know, and that is a process and an ongoing process, as we've said, we can really start to see our children for who they are and not through the lens of our own experience. And actually, he will tell you what he needs. We just need to be able to hear it. And I think this is the thing that we can lose sight of. Our children, you know, we talk about parenting as a very one dimensional thing Like we are a parent and we do these things to our child and our child will receive them. And then hopefully they'll grow up to be these wonderful, well-rounded individuals. And then we'll feel like we've done a really good job. Like (laughs) then we've done our job, done, sick. Actually, parenting is a relationship. 
with a whole human being who comes into the world with very strong opinions and a full awareness of their own needs. But because when we're coloured by our own experiences, we can find it really hard to hear them. And we view them through this prism of our own experience, right? So for example, you know, one of the examples I talk about a lot is when you hear a baby cry as a new parent, depending on your own experiences, you might hear that cry very, very differently. So if you felt like you were abandoned as a baby, you will hear that baby say, you're abandoning me, how could you leave me? If you were met with a lot of anger, you might hear that baby go, how very dare you? You know, what are you doing? So you can hear that exact same cry in through that prism of your own experience and interpret it very differently. Once you understand that that is a message that comes from elsewhere, that is nothing to do with your baby, it's to do with previous relationships, you can then really hear what it is that your baby or child is trying to tell you. And what's amazing about children is that they will tell you very yeah. clearly and very loud <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they'll tell you when they're getting it wrong if you're able to hear it and if you're able to receive it you know so the fact that Reuben could say to you you know back off in so many mm-hmm. so many words and you know maybe there's a part of you that was like oh I don't really like that but you heard it yeah he was able to say it and you were able to hear it that is beautiful and such a profound gift that we can give to our children just that idea of I am I work I can receive I can receive from you and you are an active participant in this relationship so you know one of the things that I talk about in the book is this idea of collaboration you know as parents we're not just here to to do things to our children we are in a two-way relationship and if we can learn to collaborate with each other then then that's when we're kind of able to form a relationship that means that everybody's needs are going to be met yeah and that's the goal isn't it it's a relationship where we can meet everybody's goal everybody's needs where we can hear where we can acknowledge and yeah sometimes that means being accountable you know I said to him at the time I'm really sorry Reuben yeah I hear you I know I'm getting a bit frustrated I find maths really difficult and yeah I I understand that okay let's take a deep breath here how else can we look at it I just want you to get the work done and then we moved on with it it wasn't like we need it was one of those occasions where we didn't actually get angry with each other or I didn't flog myself because I realized that I was actually getting angry and showing up in a way that perhaps I was parented I acknowledged it he acknowledged it and then we moved on I think sometimes it's quite difficult to get to the move on phase as we've said it is. And also part of that is owning your anger. Like mm. being able to say, yeah, I am frustrated. And I think we can be quite afraid of that if we've been met with anger as children. You know, our initial reaction is then to go, no, 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 I'm not angry. Of course yeah. I'm not angry. I'll never be angry with you, my beautiful, gorgeous child. You know, I never <laughs> want you to experience my anger. You know, the things that we experience as children can be really scary to us. So being able to learn how to express anger in a healthy way is, I mean, again, lifelong journey, probably. But, but something that is, you know, a huge part of that healing journey, if that's what you've experienced for yourself. So being able to just say, like, off the cuff like that, yeah, I'm frustrated. Because, you know, what our child then hears is, I can be frustrated with you, but I'm still here. I'm still here to help you. And we can move through this frustration together. It's not that I have a perfect relationship with you where we never experience any negative feelings towards each other. It's, yeah, sometimes we annoy each other and frustrate each other. And sometimes... You know, I'll say something that you really wish I hadn't said. And sometimes you'll do something that I really wish you hadn't done. But the relationship is that we're still here and we still connect even through that. He did say to me the other week, he was like, you're really pissing me off. Yeah. But that, I mean, if I, I was to me, that's like, yeah, I, I had to amazing. laugh. How because, amazing. Yeah, he, I mean, he, I really was. I mean, I think it was, he's, he's nearly, he's nearly, nearly, nearly 12. He's 12 in like just under two weeks. And um, he's, very hormonal and teenagey, and he, I was pissing him off he wasn't wrong yeah. his delivery on it might have needed a bit of work but he wasn't wrong I was irritated him I think it was something to do with his phone and it was fair it was valid I was really irritating him because I I was not giving into what he wanted at that time and he felt that anger and that frustration and I've said to him and all of them on so many occasions it's okay to feel that way but it's also not going to change the outcome of what I'm doing yeah. Because sometimes you're not going to like what I'm saying. Like last night, you've, you've got to go to bed. And Toby wanted to stay up and watch uh, a TV program. I think it was the Tommy Fury, Jake Paul fight. 
And I was like, that's not going to be on until 10 past 10. It's not happening. I was really cross, really, really cross. I said, it's absolutely okay to be angry. It's okay to be disappointed that you're not going to stay up and watch it, but you're still going to bed. And that's that. And it's hard sometimes to navigate that line between wanting them to like you because I I grew up a lot with my mum saying to me, I'm not your friend. You don't have to like me. And she was correct in what she was saying. It was just the fact that I wasn't her daughter either. I was her therapist or a standing spouse. And that was where things went wrong. There was that message, which was correct of, you're, I'm not your friend and you don't have to like me and like what I'm doing, which I agree with. That is, yeah, true. That's true for parenting. But it was the delivery and everything else that came around it. And as you say, that inconsistency of sometimes I wasn't a friend and sometimes I wasn't. So that's where things were going wrong there. But as a parent myself, it's difficult to accept sometimes that I'm not their friend or that I'm not going to be liked in this situation, that I'm not the good guy. I'm the mum who's having to say no. Mm, And I think that's where people can really struggle at the toddler phase where you know there's two phases really of, of I mean children are separating from us all the time they were always in this kind of push forward children where they want to be close to us and then they can be really angry with us that they need yeah. us and push away again because they want to grow up you know that is our instinct you know that we want to develop but so these two really big phases of kind of identity transformation and transition that that come with huge kind of separation from our family of origin one is toddlerhood and the second is teenage years and those phases can be really triggering when you are working to try and offer something to your child that you didn't receive because they have to be they have to push away they have to push at you and I think that for a lot of parents you know those kind of really early baby days even though they're very hard can actually feel quite healing because we we are able to meet our baby's needs we're not always able to meet them but we can it's quite clear what they need mm-hmm. I, I want to kind of established a relationship over those first few months there can be this feeling of like yeah I can absolutely meet this baby's every need and you have that kind of instant sense of gratification and reward where you know your baby is soothed or smiles at you and you're like yeah I'm doing a good job here like, this is this is this is the stuff and then they hit toddlerhood and that can happen really early, you know, kind of even before a year where they're just annoyed with you. You know, they're just <laughs> protesting and you don't really know why. And all of a sudden you have to start to think about boundary setting. And that can be really difficult when you want to be giving and warm and loving. How do I marry up being boundaried and firm and giving my child that sense of kind of authority, not necessarily authoritarianism, but authority like I I am what Dr Becky calls a sturdy leader Mm. while at the same time still being warm and giving and generous because that's what I really want them to have so that can feel like a really tricky transition for a lot of people and toddlers can really act like they despise you so that can be very very difficult and then again in the teenage years where you know our teenagers as part of their identity development have to push away from us have to tell us that they're pissed off with us have to tell us all of the things that they know best and all of the many ways that we're wrong (laughs) oh I'm always wrong I get very little right it's a miracle that I managed to function as an adult to be honest exactly exactly and like you know and have had your own education I mean who would have thought it (laughs) certainly not Reuben (laughs) but you know being able to accept that with grace you Mm. know that this is part of their this is part of their journey in separating from us and and again, you know, the kind of grief that can come with that and always feeling slightly on the wrong foot, mm-hmm. it can really help to take that elsewhere, right? Like actually my relationship with my child is a bit different. My role as a parent feels a bit different. Like I'm kind of holding this person as they're blossoming into what will become adulthood. So how do I do, how do I feel okay about doing that? How do I feel okay about holding them through this process where part of that process is going to be that they're resentful and hateful towards me? And still to know that that doesn't necessarily mean that I am a hateful person and that I deserve to be spoken to in that way. It's figuring out the balancing act, isn't it, of saying, okay, yeah, you might hate me in this moment and that's okay and that's normal. And that doesn't have any reflection on me. It also doesn't actually have any reflection on you because quite often people will say, oh my God, my teenager is growing up into this awful thing. No, they're not. They're just pushing back against you and yeah. saying, this is, I'm I'm the one that's that's in control of my own destiny now. And you're like, mm, yeah. you can't even use the toaster without burning things. So not quite. 
but we'll get there we'll get there yeah. together you'll get, exactly exactly and it will be messy and it'll be a muddle and you'll rub up against each other in the wrong way multiple multiple times but that being part of that process and I think you know it's about that idea of containment right that as parents forever we are the containers for our children's emotions and you've spoken about that in previous podcasts you know that sense of when we've parented ourselves as children it can feel really difficult to know that we then have to be parents to our own children forevermore and that that is essentially a one-way relationship we are there to contain their emotions we are you know when they're very little it's almost like we take their emotions from them and we absorb them we sort of package them up and then we hand them back Mm. and you know like you said before that I understand that you're frustrated you know when you're doing that you're explaining this is what you're going through this is what you're experiencing I can accept it and here you go, you know, this is this is a, a much more palatable version of those very big emotions that you just threw at me. But we then need somewhere to take that, right? Someone to contain us. Because if you think about what's getting poured into you every day in terms of big, unprocessed, raw emotions, anger, frustration, hormones, you know, all of that stuff, just the messy chaos of family life. And you are absorbing all of that. And that is our role as parents to absorb all of that then where do we then pour that? And we absolutely need to pour it somewhere because that's when we get overwhelmed if we're just absorbing it all and we don't have anywhere to let go of it. And where do we pour it? Well, I'm biased, so therapy. (laughs) 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 But therapy is so hard to access for so many people. Mm. So it can be friends, trusted friends, don't need to be many, just one person sometimes just to say, be able to share you know the ups and downs of parenting online communities I think are really really great at having being able to provide us with places to pour without necessarily feeling like we need to give something back you know that's what that's the beauty I think of online communities to be able to just write a comment or write a post and just go this is what's happening and not expect necessarily that we need to give anything back in return that the downside of that is that you can be met with judgment you don't always know what you're going to receive I run a parenting community on Facebook where we have a really explicit no judgment rule. So that those kind of spaces where if you don't have family or friends around or you don't have access to therapy just to be able to go here, please can somebody just hear this and take yeah. it from me. Your partner, if you have one around, you know, that being able to share those kind of difficulties that you have in parenting, but also just finding ways to let go of it. So that might be verbally, right? You might journal, you might talk about it, or it might be letting go of it from your body. So we talked before about that kind of nervous system research that so maybe that you move it may be that you exercise it may be that you go for a walk in nature it may be that you use breathing all of those things that we can do to just reset let go of some adrenaline and cortisol from our nervous system so if you think about it what you're absorbing is stress and then finding ways to then let go of that stress in whatever way works for you and it might not be same as what anybody else is doing and that's what's really important to say as well that it has to be what works for you in your circumstance yeah because so often we see the perfect self-care ads on social media or the this is how we should do self-care and actually it looks totally different for everybody because what's one person's self-care might not look anything like yours and that's okay yes and often you know those self-care things that we see involve having somebody to look after your children Mm. and if you're not in contact with your family it can feel really difficult to even see that you know if you don't have childcare, if you don't have somebody else to look after your children actually that can feel like a bit of a slap in the face you know that I feel overwhelmed and I can't do anything about it because I don't have anyone to can look after my children so that I can go off and have that time on my own we can still look after ourselves with our children present so that might be putting our hand on our hearts and taking some breaths it might be doing that with our children so that we're doing sort of meditation or we're doing something that works for us with our children we're kind of teaching them and modeling to them at the same time it might sometimes be just going off to your bedroom shutting the door with the lights off and lying like a starfish on your bed in the dark for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's about what's accessible to you, what's available to you, and what works for you. Yeah. And that's going to look different for absolutely everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Emma, can you let people know where to find you, please, if they would like to know more about your wonderful work? Because yeah. I think this conversation could just, it could go on forever and there's yeah. so much to learn, but you share so much across your social media. So I would love to know where people can find you. 
Yes, yeah, so um, I, do, I, I could talk about this stuff for hours and frequently do. Um, so you can find me on Instagram. I'm at mammologist. Um, that's because I'm a psychologist mainly to mums, but I do also work with dads and fathers too. Um, I also, we've recently set up a cooperative called the psychologycooperative.com. We are going to be offering lots of free and low cost resources on there. So if people want to go and find out about that, they can either access therapy through that or we're hoping to have lots and lots of resources up there in the coming months. Um, and I also have my book out, which is Parenting for Humans. Um, and you can find that at all of the usual places. Amazing. And what's the Facebook group that you mentioned? Oh, it's called The Village, A Parenting Community for Humans. And that's Fantastic. it's all in the kind of links in my bio on Instagram. Amazing. That's brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I feel like that there's just so much to learn about it. And it's such an in-depth topic. And it's so misconstrued sometimes. Misconstrued is probably the right word for it. It's so misconstrued. Yeah. It's so misunderstood. And it's a lifelong process. And if there's one thing that I think people need to take away from this episode is that it is a lifelong process. If you don't feel like you're healed or you don't feel like you've broken a cycle, it's not because you're doing it wrong. It's because it takes a life. It's about it's slow amazing. changes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think what you're doing is so wonderful in showing people a way, you know, pathway through what can feel like such a muddled and confusing and painful experience thank you hopefully it helps people feel just a little bit less alone which is the goal because you're never actually alone we often think that we are but we're not thank you so much thanks harriet bye guys bye bye hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.